Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture will be coming out of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in, in, every, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Frank. Hi, guys. Aw, so nice. I am Fabs. If you do, that's a, a name. One time I was talking to someone introducing them, and there were three of us. This is not part of the sermon. But there were three of us, and someone was like, this is Fabs. And the other person goes, what is a Fabs? <laughs> it's me. I'm a Fabs. Um, I'm on staff here at the Vine. I'm so happy to be with you. Mark is out on sabbatical this summer, so we get to hear from lots of different voices in our church. And I get the pleasure of kicking off a new series for us. We're going to go through a series on our distinctives. These are a collection of things that we find describe us here at the Vine. So a distinctive is just a quality or characteristic that makes a person or a thing different from others. Okay, a, person, a quality or characteristic that makes a person or a thing different from others. So these are the things, these six things that we think make us distinct. And you can put the six, these are our six distinctives here at the Vine. So each week a different person from our community is going to come up here and take a different one of these and kind of unpack what it's meant to them, how it's ministered to them, why they care about it, and how they apply it in their lives. These six things, they're different from our vision. Our vision as the church is to just follow Jesus together. And we do that through sacred experiences and significant friendships and generous compassion. So at the beginning of a church, you kind of dream up your vision. you got a bunch of people sitting in a room thinking, what do we want our church to be? And our vision was we want to follow Jesus together. And these six things were not written down there in that initial vision. What happened as we follow Jesus together is that God brought different people to this church. He brought people with different gifts and strengths and bumps and bruises pain points, different experiences. And over time, as we looked around at our church, we could kind of see this personality of the vine emerging, this culture. And then we put words to those things because we want to hold on to them. We want to steward them well. So that's what these six things are. They are our distinctives, our qualities or characteristics that make a thing or a person different from others, the things that, that make us different as a church. And I want to be clear when I say that, when I say distinct, unique, I, I don't mean better. Right, Because sometimes when you're at a church and they're talking about their distinctives, what they really mean is, this is why we know all the right answers, we've figured it out, this is the only place that you're going to experience this, we're one of a kind, and they don't mean like we are unique, they mean we're better, we're, we're doing it better. And I want to be clear that I believe that the vine is absolutely unique, like the, the, the Spirit of God, the way the Spirit of God shows up by the people who've linked arms here at the vine to follow Jesus together that that expression of the Spirit has never happened in all of eternity past, and it will never happen in all of eternity future. It's totally unique. 
100% unique, and that's because every single one of you is totally unique. There's only one of you. There's never been a creature like you in all of time, and there never will be again. And so when we gather together as a church, when we link arms to follow Jesus together, we're going to be a unique expression of the Spirit. We're going to be absolutely distinct, right? But I want to be clear that, that we don't have an exclusivity clause with the Holy Spirit. This is not the only room in the city of Austin where I believe the Holy Spirit is moving. We're not the only pocket where the magic that happens when the church comes together is occurring. That's happening all across the city, all across this world. Um, it's just a unique expression of it here. And there's a unique expression of it around the, the corner, down the street as well. I know that's like a terrible sales pitch. Like, I, as I was writing this, I was like, I think someone on the leadership team is going to be like, okay, we get it. <laughs> um, but I'm not trying to sell you on anything. Right? That's the great thing about hopefully working for a church. I don't, I don't have anything to sell. Everything that we have that's awesome is given away for free. It's the Spirit of God. And we don't have an exclusivity clause. We're not the only ones who get to hold on to the Spirit of God. And I was thinking about it like writing a dating profile, which I don't have a lot of experience with. But <laughs> there's kind of two ways to approach writing a dating profile in my mind. You could approach it as like, let me find the things that people want. Let me try to become as attractive as I can in the qualities that I think people are looking for out there in the world. And let me try to say all those things and then they'll pick me. Or you could just know who you are. You could know who you are, you could own it, you could say who you are, and the people who want to find that will know where to find it. And that's what these distinctives are for us. They're who we are, and, and they might be what you need and they might not be, but if they are, you're welcome here. This is who we are as a church, and we're going to flex into it, we're going to steward it well. Uh, we like it. Um, so I get to kick off today with the first of these distinctives, and it's Jesus-centered, which I think all the other distinctives kind of flow from this one, but I'm biased because it's mine, Jesus-centered. Here's what our website says about what it means to be Jesus-centered. It means the focal point of our community is upon the life, love, ministry, and mission of Jesus. In Jesus, we find not only the clearest demonstration of who God is, but how we were called to live. Like, Jesus is the center, and our community is around him, and we look to him. and He's the center of what we're doing here at the Vine. And I was uh, chatting with some friends about this sermon this weekend. Uh, they do not identify as Christians. And they were like, what, what else would a Christian church center around? Like, this doesn't seem that distinct. <laughs> this doesn't seem very unique. But I was trying to explain to them, there's a lot of things churches center around. Some I agree with, some I don't. All different kinds of things. There are churches who center around the Bible, right? There are churches who center around the gospel, a specific moment in Jesus' life. That's what the center of their community is about, there are churches who center around the picture of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. They look at what that first church looked like, and that's what they want to center around. That's what they want to imitate. There are churches that center around specific values they have or political positions. We want to center around the person, the life, the love, the ministry, the mission of Jesus. Okay, we seek to center him as our leader as we seek to follow him. And there's like a million different things that means. So I was trying to simplify it, and I was thinking about what it looks like for us as people to have Jesus at the center of our, our full personhood, all of our faculties. And so I made a little person, and we say Jesus at the center and in our, our head, in our mind. What that means is what we think and we know about Jesus, God, how we understand God is centered around Jesus, filtered through the lens of Jesus, okay? And our hands, hands, like how we live things out, how we apply them. Here at the Vine, that's centered around Jesus. And our hearts, which I'll get to later on in the sermon. It's the trickiest one to explain, but, it, but inside, the inside part of us is centered around Jesus. 
So here at The Vine, we center our thoughts, our mind, how we understand God around Jesus. We center our hands, how we live it out around Jesus, and our hearts. Let's start with mind. So we center Jesus in our minds, meaning we understand God. We know who God is. We know what to think about God through Jesus. It's the very first part of our text today, right? The very first clause, that very first verse, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. You can throw this scripture up there. Yeah. The Son is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. Cannot see God. I can't see God right now. I hope none of us can see God right now, right? Jesus-centered means we think that all of a sudden, at this moment in history, the invisible God became visible, like in human form, that through Jesus, we see this God that was invisible. And later on, one of my favorite verses in verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's a crazy idea. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That means in Jesus, every part of God is there. No part's missing. There's no part of his personality we can't see. There's no side of his face that's hidden from us. In Jesus, we can see the fullness of God, the fullness of who he is. And that's important because the Bible and, and life is complicated and confusing, and sometimes God seems like he has like a, a lot of different personalities going on. Right? Sometimes he looks like he is just someone we don't even know, right? And, and people ask us, which kind of part of the personality of God do you identify with? I've had people ask me, do you believe in an Old Testament God or a New Testament God? Right? They're like, do you believe in this part of the personality of God or this side of the personality of God? And at the vine, Jesus-centered means we believe the fullness of God is seen and understood in the person of Jesus, That doesn't mean that we are looking at Jesus, we're prioritizing Jesus, and all the parts of God that we don't like, we just discard. That means that we feel like when we're looking at Jesus, we're actually seeing all the parts of God. There's nothing missing. There aren't any scraps left on the floor. Jesus is this way for us to make sense of everything we encounter about God, every thought that we read about God in the Bible. We understand it through the lens of Jesus. He's the picture. He's how we see it. Right, every time you come to the Bible or anyone talking to you in any way, you have the words that are written and then you have the way you interpret them. You have the way you understand them, the way you receive them. In Bible language, we call it a hermeneutic when you have a theory or a method for how you understand what you're reading. People have different hermeneutics, different ways of approaching the Bible and saying, this is how I know that how I'm understanding this is what it was meant to mean. This is how I understand that. You could say that at the vine, Jesus is our hermeneutic. He's our method. He's how we interpret what we're reading. When we see a passage, we filter it through the lens of Jesus. I'm um, certified in a, a communication model called process communication model. It's like an evidence-based idea that you can look at people, study them, and you can figure out why it is that sometimes someone talks and the other person doesn't understand it. And sometimes someone talks and the other person does. And that's communication, when it goes through, when it's clear. And part of what they learned in their research is many of you probably know this, that a lot of communication is nonverbal, right? So when this person's talking, this person is interpreting not just the words, but they're getting a million different inputs that help them understand what this person actually meant, what they're actually saying. They actually found there are five things. Words, tone, gesture, posture, facial expression. These five things are how we communicate. They're how we understand someone. And they found that when you don't have at least a majority that are congruent, you don't know how to understand what someone's saying. We do not receive information that way. So when it comes to the Bible, you've got words. 
And then you've got the tone, gesture, posture, facial expression of whoever's standing here like me reading the Bible in whatever tone, gesture, posture, facial expression they think is right. So you've got maybe some words like don't be anxious, and I could say them with a tone, gesture, postural, facial expression like don't be anxious. You are not trusting God, right? Or I could say them how I'd say them to my niece when she's scared to go to school, and I hold her really close, and I say, don't be anxious, I'll go with you. I'll go with you the whole time, right? They're very different meanings based on the tone, gesture, posture, facial expression. And Jesus, in Jesus, we have the full personality of God. We have the tones, gestures, postures, facial expressions. We know the kinds of things that made Jesus raise his voice. We know how he talked to people on the margins, and we know how he talked to religious leaders exploiting their power. We understand a little bit more about how the rest of the Bible can be interpreted through the lens of the personhood of Jesus, who in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Okay, so that's the first part. We have our minds. What we think about God here here at the vine is, is formed and centered around the person of Jesus. And with our hands, how we live it out, how we apply the things we know about God is also centered around Jesus. So I want the application of my theology, the thoughts I have about God. I want the way I apply that to make me behave like Jesus, because I think Jesus had perfect theology. Perfect theology. He knew all the true things about God. He believed them fully with all his heart. And so what I see in his life is this model. It's this example of perfect application. So when I'm trying to figure out how to apply something I think or believe, if it makes me behave in a way that's counter to Jesus, I'm going to go back to the drawing board. Right? Jesus is the guiding principle for application. He, he is the way that we know the application is right if it looks like Jesus. And so here at the Vine, we seek to follow Jesus. We seek to imitate him because our central guiding principle for what it looks like to apply the things you know about God is lived out in the life and the ministry and the mission and the love of Jesus, right? So in our Vine groups, it's less a conversation sometimes, hopefully, it's less of a conversation about how do I behave if I believe this or how would I live this out if I believe this thing about God? It's more a conversation about how did Jesus live this out because he believed it perfectly. How did Jesus show up? What kind of words, tones, gesture, posture, facial expression Jesus have? And, and I want that to be a part of my application. If my application loses that, then I'm going to go back to Jesus. He's my guiding principle for applying what I know about God how I live it out. So the last part is our heart. Mind, our hands, our head, hands, heart. <laughs> our heart is where we want to talk about as a church what it means to put Jesus at the center of our hearts. And this was really a hard sermon to prepare, like really hard, like so much thinking, too much thinking. I mean, it really, like, I got very snagged on this section. But I knew I needed it because to me, in just knowing something about God through Jesus and in just following the way of Jesus, there's something really important missing, which is that, that following Jesus is an inside-out experience. It's not just about what we're doing with our hands. It's inside-out, right? It's faith expressing itself through love. And that faith, that's the Jesus-centered heart. So I couldn't how you reduce that down, if you ask someone what a Jesus-centered heart is, I'm sure there would be a billion different answers, and I found, as I did ask a lot of people, that a lot of them don't even make sense. Like, what does it mean to trust Jesus? Like, what do we even mean by that? So I, I got a little tangly in my brain, and so I figured, I'm just going to tell you a story. I hung out with my niece a couple of weeks ago, and we were sitting there together. I 
I had brought her a friendship bracelet kit. Um, so she was sitting there. She needed a little help because it was a little hard, um, a little maybe too old for her. Sorry about it. Um, and we're making these friendship bracelets. I'm working on one. She's working on one. And she, we're chatting. It's just like one of those sweet moments where you're just like really enjoying someone's presence a lot, you know. And then she, I am asking her, who are you making your friendship bracelet for? And she tells me about this girl at school that she's making this friendship bracelet for. And we're chatting. We talk a little bit more. We get some snacks. And then she's like, Auntie Fabi, which, which of these beads is more beautiful? And she's showing me these different beads. I want to pick the perfect bead, the most beautiful bead I have. I don't want to save it for myself. I wanted to give it to her. I'm like, this is so sweet, helping her pick out the beads. And then she, as she gets close to finishing it, she's like, I think this is going to make her want to be my friend. And I was like, tell me more about that. <laughs> like, I don't understand what you're saying. My sister walks in the room and she's, what do you mean? You know? And my niece is like, well... We are friends, but sometimes we're not friends. Sometimes she says, I can't sit with her. Sometimes she says she likes me, and sometimes she says, I've been annoying, or I talk too loud, or I did something silly in class, and now she doesn't want to hang out with me. But I think if I give her this friendship bracelet, it will really seal the deal. Like, this is going to make her be my friend forever. This is going to stabilize this relationship, right? And obviously, this is like the most heartbreaking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, I couldn't even think of anything to say because I was just heartbroken. But I think, as I was thinking about this Jesus-centered heart, the, the truth is, for some of us, this is what our relationship with God is like a lot of the time. Like we're, we're not really sure how he's going to act when we run into him on the playground. Like we don't know if he's going to be happy to see us or mad at us or maybe tolerate us because he's really loving. He's not like this girl at my, my niece's school, right? He's really loving, so he'll let you sit at his lunch table anytime. But you know deep down he doesn't really want you to be there. He's not, like, excited to see you. And we have this, like, bond between us and God. There's us and there's God, and there's this bond between us. And if we're honest, it feels pretty volatile, pretty insecure. And sometimes when we're looking at that bond through the lens of self, when when we're seeing how stable that bond is, we look through that lens of self, and, and we judge how stable it is based on how we're showing up, right? How many times we read our Bible, or how we even feel about God, how we felt in worship that day. That must mean that bond is good or whether we prayed, or how we felt when we prayed, it it means that bond is good, or the kind of thoughts we're having. That's how we determine if this bond is stable or not. And so when we feel it start start to sort of waver, kind of like my niece did with this friend, we try to do more things. We try to get our heart to feel better about God, and we try to pray more, and we try to make sure we go to church this week and read our Bible or serve and be generous. Whatever it is we're trying to figure out, we're just like my niece, like sitting there making this friendship bracelet, thinking this is the thing that's going to solidify, that's going to stabilize this bond that feels so volatile. And a Jesus-centered heart views that bond through the lens of Jesus. Jesus is the stabilizer of this bond, right? I feel this insecurity in this relationship, but I can think maybe no one will want to sit with me or definitely not God because I'm so lame, right? And then I see myself through the lens of Jesus and I can see, no, 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 God so loved the world that me, the parts of me that I'm so scared to show anybody, he so loved those parts. He came and got them. He didn't want me just to sit at the table. He wasn't going to just save me a seat. He came and found me to give me a seat. He, he loves me. And when I feel that sense of like, well, God can't really know me, Jesus is the stabilizer in that bond. He does know me. He became a man specifically so that he could be with me in the human experience because he wanted to share that with me. He stabilizes this bond, right? And anytime I feel fear that I might have done something 
talk too loud in class or whatever it is that my niece did that rubs him the wrong way, A, I know that's not true because of Jesus, but B, in Jesus, this bond is totally stabilized. It's like he came and he made repairs for anything that could ever be damaged, any weak part, any part that could be fractured by our relationship with God, that bond being unpredictable, he's stabilized, right? That's the work of Jesus, the life and death of Jesus was stabilizing this bond with you and God so much that nothing could ever break it. Nothing could ever make it even wave, wiggle in the wind. Nothing can ever change it. It's unbreakable. It's fully stabilized. You you could put duct tape on it if you want, but it won't add anything to it. It's as strong as it's ever going to be in Jesus. That's the work of Jesus. He came to make sure this bond is unbreakable. And we view that bond through the lens of Jesus. We have this sense of safety and security. Like We know who we are, and we know where we stand in this relationship. We're not worried about how how God is going to engage with us We don't have to try to build it up or protect it by things we do or by making these friendship bracelets, right? And I want to say that God didn't make this bond secure so that he could love you. He loved you. So he made this bond secure. Right? That's important to me in this bond. I need to know that that this bond is so secure, and that happened because I was so loved, right? The love came first, right? Faith in that security, faith in Jesus, that kind of faith, it overflows in love. It does overflow in the actions and behaviors of following Jesus. It overflows in making friendship bracelets, right? My niece was making two friendship bracelets, one for this girl at school and one for me. She was taking such care. She's very detail-oriented. She's like finding the letters. Every now and then she has to check, is this the right letter? Is this how you spell Fabby? I don't know how to spell Fabby. However you want to spell it is perfect. My baby angel niece. Um... She made two, necl- two of these friendship bracelets, right? But one was made as an attempt to try to secure love. One was made to try to stabilize this bond. One was made out of a hunger and an insecurity. And one was made out of a fullness, an overflowing of a sense of how stable and secure she was in the relationship with me. And I know that with me, when she gives me that friendship bracelet, it's not going to earn her anything. It's not going to change how I feel about her. I'm not going to add to the, like, how amazing and creative and wonderful and beautiful I think she is. It's not going to make that meter go up any. It's not going to, I'm not going to buy her anything. I'm not going to give her more presents because of it. It's not going to add a single drop, not even a tiniest little droplet of love to how I feel about my niece. And that might sound mean, but the only reason that's true is because I have held nothing back. I have held nothing back from her. I've already given her the fullness of all the love that I have, every single thing she ever needs for this bond between us to be secure. I don't even need her to do her part. I'm pouring love into it. I'm going to fill the bond. I'm going to purchase the friendship bracelet kit for her to even make me the friendship bracelet, and then I'm going to be honored that I got it. (laughs) I love her. I haven't held anything back. There's nothing more to give her because I don't have anything held back. And that's the gospel, not the God doesn't care about your friendship bracelets. They don't add anything because they're worthless. Not that. God has held nothing back from you in Jesus. He saw you and he loved you and that love was so big, he poured it out, the fullness of it out in Jesus and he was willing to repair even damages that hadn't been done yet. He wanted this foundation to be so secure that it would never wiggle, it would never wobble, you wouldn't have to have a single moment of insecurity. That is what Jesus is, the expression of the love of God poured into our hearts. 
And Jesus-centered means we trust that. We have faith in that, and it overflows in love. It bubbles up, and it overflows in love, right? You know, when my niece gives me that bracelet, I don't, I don't think she's finished yet. When she gives it to me, I know how I'm going to react, because it's the same way I react every single time she gives me anything. All these art things that I have hanging on my fridge. I am delighted. And then she's delighted that I'm delighted in hers. So she kind of gets delighted. That delights me even more, and then she gets delighted that I'm delighted. And it's this cycle of delight, and we're just like looking at each other, like amazed by these creations that we are. That's what happens in a stable, secure bond. That's what friendship bracelets accomplish. They don't earn you anything, and they don't purchase you anything. They have no currency, but that doesn't make them worthless. Right? They're precious. This is what love does. Faith overflows in love. Here at the Vine, we want to imitate Jesus, but we're free to imitate Jesus not because we're trying to earn something from God, not because we're trying to feel better about who we are, but because we consume Jesus inside, in our hearts. We center our view of that bond between us and God on Jesus, and we know we're so stable, and we're so safe, and we're so secure, and it sets us free to engage with one another with the words, tones, gestures, postures, facial expressions of Jesus, right? I think this is part of what, for me, feels like the magic of the vine, is this place where there's freedom to disagree. There's freedom to open the Bible and see things differently. And there's freedom for someone to not know what they think about something and, and explore it and read books around it and consider it. And no one in the room is panicking. No one in the room is freaking out. We take a deep breath. We center our hearts in Jesus. And we remember this person is safe and stable with God because of Jesus, not because of how they think. And we have space for people to show up, explore their giftings. Even in this, this series, different people from our community are going to get to get, get up here and teach. They're going to get to explore that. And we're, we're safe to do that because nobody's relationship with God depends on what happens right here. Nobody's. Not mine and not yours. When I was preparing this sermon, like losing my mind about it. I don't know why it was so hard. And a friend yesterday was like, what is going on? Like, why is this really, really, like, you're struggling I was like, I am. And I realized this moment, last night, like 8 p.m., the thing I'm about to say right now, which is I know I've done a lot of work centering my heart in Jesus to know that my worth and my value doesn't depend on this sermon. But I know in this room there are people who've had the gospel leveraged against them in a way that's really painful. And to articulate and explain the gospel in a way that leaves you feeling like Jesus left people feeling is a hard thing to do. And I was feeling so much pressure like, if I say this word, someone's going to go down this road. If I say this word, someone's going to go down this. And then I realized, oh, yeah, your relationship with God doesn't depend on how I present the gospel in this sermon. It is safe and secure and solidified in Jesus. There's nothing I can add. There's nothing I can say today to make that, that bond stronger. I'm not adding to the work of Jesus. It's finished. It's been finished for a long time, and it sets me free. It sets me free to share what I think I know about Jesus and maybe be wrong about some things and change my mind later in life about some things because nothing in this room that's eternal is dependent on what I do and the work I do. Not just for me, but also for you. That sets us free as a community to explore our design, just like my niece is, is free to explore different parts of her personality. And, and on that foundation of secure love, she can try things and fail because she's not trying to earn security in this bond, right? It sets us free as a community that you can show up however you are, like wherever you are with God. 
whatever thoughts you're having, whatever feelings you're having, and I'm going to sit across the table from you, or Shannon's going to sit across the table from you, or Liza, or whoever, and we're going to take a deep breath. And remember, we don't need your thoughts or your feelings to be in a certain place for you to be stable with God. Jesus is why you're stable with God. And now we have freedom to make some space for you to be with you, where you are without pressure, without someone telling you you're in danger of falling away if you don't get it together right now, because Jesus is the center of what makes us solid with God, and nothing we're going to do is going to add to it, and nothing we can do can take it away, right? That's what it means to have a Jesus-centered heart, and I was thinking about Jesus, and maybe part of what freed him up to have the words, tones, gestures, postures, facial expressions that he did is that he was Jesus-centered, right? He knew the bond, obviously, between him and God was secure, but he also knew he was going to make it secure for Gabe and Frank. He also knew who's going to do that. He looked at Peter, right, who's going to, we just talked about this a few weeks ago, but going to deny him and betray him. And he knew, I'm going to be the one who makes that secure for Peter. And it set him free to not control the people around him, to not be afraid of the people around him, to, to move towards Peter, to give him room to make mistakes, big mistakes, and then meet him the very, like, two stories later on the beach and cook him breakfast and entrust to him the full ministry of the New Testament church. You know why? Because he knew, Peter, I got this. I'll make this right. I'll make right whatever's broken. I will take care of this. I'm responsible for this bond. And you were free and you were safe to try and fail and try and fail and try again. And when you want me, I'll be right here to cook you breakfast, right? That's Jesus. He didn't come to get anything from you. He didn't call you to follow him because he needs anything from you. He didn't call you to follow him because he's a narcissist who needs an ego boost. He just came to offer himself, to offer himself for us to consume, to make us full, to make us safe. That word consume is kind of weird, but it's Jesus, not me, who's really into these food metaphors, right? In John 6, he is preaching a sermon. It ends up being one of his most controversial sermons. A lot of his followers are like out after this one. And he says, some of you are following me because you want to get things or you want to eat these kind of bread. You want to work for God to earn something from him. But, but me, I'm a gift from God. You don't earn me. I'm freely given and I'm the bread of life. And anyone who's hungry and anyone who's thirsty can come and eat freely. And it's so weird, but what Jesus is saying is, I'm, I'm here, my body, my blood, my life, my death is here for you to consume. He's inviting you, not against his will, but a delight for him, joy for him, to use him to stabilize that bond to eat his flesh, to drink his blood so that this bond could be so stable and so secure that you never have to feel a moment's anxiety about it again. And you can be free to follow Jesus like nothing depends on it, which is a really beautiful thing. Jesus keeps up this food metaphor, right? We see it again in the, in the last night of his life when he does communion, which is what we're about to do here. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, just like this. He broke it, and he gave it to each of his disciples, and he said, take this and eat. This is my body, and it was given, freely given. No friendship bracelets needed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup, 
poured out the cup. He gave thanks. And he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, a new kind of bond that doesn't depend, that doesn't ebb and flow based on your behavior that can't ever be changed. This blood is the new, solid, solidified covenant. It's my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins so that any rupture that's ever made in that bond is constantly full, fixed, repaired, amended for, reparations have been made. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do this. We do this strange ritual that we're about to do in remembrance of not just that moment, in remembrance of the truth that our hearts inside out, inside of us, Jesus is who we consume we, we eat the life and death, the body and blood of Jesus. We consume and bank on him for the stability in that bond, right? We're safe in Jesus, okay? This table does not belong to the vine. We didn't set this table. Jesus set this table, and he invites anyone who is hungry to come. There's no qualification. There's no amount of right things you needed to do this week. There's no specific place you need to be in. If you are hungry for grace and mercy, if you thirst for fullness and stability in that relationship and that bond, this table was set specifically for you. Let me pray over these things. God, we ask for your presence in this place, for this weird ritual that we do to become in this moment a sacred metaphor that teaches our bodies and our brains that we are centered on you, Jesus. We are so safe, we are so stable, we feel insecure. We can consume the love that you've poured into our hearts through Jesus. We will consume that love, and we will consume that love until we are full. Fill us, God, with the love that you've poured into our hearts through Jesus. And as we do this metaphor today, I pray that you would just make this moment holy and sacred and make these ordinary elements part of like a divine, eternal, significant plan. And I pray all that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.